Wonderful. Well, good morning, everyone. It's uh, great to see you this morning. How's the naughty corner that side? Are you guys awake? Focused? There we go. Still awake that side. Excellent. It's great to be with you this morning. And uh, if you are new, then a special welcome to you. Great to have you with us. And I must say, I'm looking forward to our new journey, tackling some strongholds, the wonderful power of the name of Jesus, turning strongholds of the enemy and finding our stronghold in Christ alone. This week, however, is a holiday week. And so this is like a precursor to the series which is starting next week. And I've been on holiday this week, so today we're going to do something slightly different. I'm not going to preach today. I'm going to teach you gently. And very gently, this is a holiday message. Because before we tackle strongholds, there's a question, believe it or not. Now this probably relates more to other churches than Outlook, in fact. But I'll teach it anyway. You'll be surprised at how many people actually say, but pastor, what exactly is sin? And this thing that I'm doing, is it sin? And so I'm going to be tackling, why are you whistling, Connor? (laughs) 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 And so I'm going to be tackling very gently this morning, this little question. What, What is sin? Whether we get to the second half of it and why God hates it, we'll just depend, see how time goes this morning. But... There's a verse, I'm not sure I sent it late to our team, it might be up on the screen, it might not, but one of the most empowering verses, or two verses, I find in the Bible. Basically, if you came to me for counseling, one, I recommend you don't, because I'm not very good at counseling, but number two, if you do come to me for counseling, basically, I'm going to try and convince you of this, that you've, well, sinned, okay? I'll try and do it gently and lovingly and get you to smile along the way, but this is why, because it says... It might not be in the screen, so you might have to look in your Bible. 1 John 1, verses 8 and 9. It says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we claim to be without sin. In other words, it's not my fault. In other words, this thing, it's not actually a sin. If we claim, now here's the problem. You see, we live in a world that right now is doing everything it can to justify why what you're doing is not sin. In fact, you're not sinning, you're a victim. I mean, it's, it's, and anyway, who says it's wrong anyway? You're not an alcoholic. It's not a sin, it's a disease. So obviously it's not your fault. Now, I mean, the Bible would say you're a drunkard, but nowadays we'd say you have a disease. Because if it's a disease, then obviously it's not your fault. I mean, you can't blame me if I catch a cold, and you can't blame me if I catch alcoholism, whatever, that. Because, now please hear my heart today. I'm in no way wanting to speak down to anyone because I know my own heart. My point is, we live in an age that is doing exactly this. Now here's why. Because it says in verse number nine, if we confess our sins, in other words, if we own it, If we say, no, 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 it's not a disease. It's not because I was badly potty trained. It's not because I come from a previously bad, disadvantaged background. It's not because of any of these things I've sinned. If we can get to that point when we own it and say, this is my mess. Maybe circumstances put pressure on me, but at some point I chose to sin. If we get to that point when we say, if we confess our sin, He, speaking about God, is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. 
right there. If you want to know the key to breakthrough, now we're going to be focusing on strongholds, demolishing strongholds. You are never going to demolish a stronghold if in your mind you're justifying why it's not your fault. Step number one, own your sin. I told you you shouldn't come to me for counseling. (laughs) Because basically, this is what I'm going to help you try and do. Now, maybe something bad happened to you. Maybe you are a victim, but then you've now got to choose how to respond to whatever happened to you. And sometimes your unforgiveness, bitterness, anger is just as bad as sin. My point is this. For me, this is a very empowering set of verses. We live in a world that's trying to justify and explain away all of our sin to say it's not everyone's doing it. Who says it's wrong anyway? It's actually because of your upbringing. I heard even these gender issues people are struggling with nowadays. It's actually not your fault. It's a DNA problem. Once again, if you don't own your sin, you'll never see he is faithful and just. If you want the faithful and just one to step into the equation of your life and mess, it starts with if you confess your sin. And then he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness and purify you from the effects of that. So with that gentle introduction, I want to talk about, well, what is sin then? Because... I could give you a theological explanation, but most people are not looking for a theological explanation. They're looking for, Pastor, where's the line? (laughs) Am I this side or am I that side? So it's kind of a difficult, I mean, basically the word sin is very simple. It just means you're missing the mark. You're falling short of the mark. If I was was a bow and arrower and I was shooting an arrow at my target and I shot my arrow and it made it halfway, I've sinned. My arrow has missed the mark. My arrow hasn't got to the target. And and God has given us a target of His righteousness. He's given us His word, His righteousness. He created us for His glory. This is what His glory looks like, His righteousness. And we fall short of the glory of God, which is why the Bible says we have all sinned and fall short of His glory. Interesting to know as well is, is, is sin results in behavior. I mean, that's the outworking of sin. But remember, our behavior is always based on our thinking. Before you act sin, you think sin. And many times, the thinking sin happened way back there. You don't wake up one morning in a beautiful marriage and say, yes, today I'm going to have an affair. Nope. That started way back there somewhere where you began to entertain the idea. And you entertain the idea, entertain the idea, entertain, and eventually your thinking gave birth to an action. But before you even thought it, you believed something. You believed, I have the right to have my needs met. She's not meeting my needs, so now I should think about this. And eventually the thinking led to an action. So that's why belief is so important. That's why when we deal with strongholds, We're going to recognize that we have to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ because at the heart of it is when when you start believing something wrong, you'll start thinking something wrong. When you start thinking something wrong, it'll give birth to actions which are wrong. That's why when the enemy came to, to Eve, remember he tried to get her to believe different. Did God really say If he could get her belief to change, he'd get her thinking to change, and he'd get her actions to change, which resulted in sin. Now, the reason this is quite a problem, what is sin, is because it depends on who you are. Sin is not 
I mean, it is falling short of God's glory, but it depends. If you were Adam and Eve, then what is sin? Well, Adam and Eve didn't have a lot of commands. They had no one to murder. They had no one to commit adultery with. And actually, God simply said to Adam and Eve, remember, you can eat of any tree in the garden. You're just not allowed to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So for them, sin was very clearly defined. Here is God's command, and they chose to violate it. But then what happened from, from Adam and Eve all the way to Moses? God didn't then, after Adam and Eve, give them a whole list of commands, and yet he said to Cain, Cain, be careful. Sin is crouching at your door. Sin wants to rule over you, but you've got to master it. And Cain said, and he got mad and he murdered his brother. So sin was around. Even though God hadn't given new commands, actually God still said, but but Cain, you've sinned. Why? Well, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 2, verses 12 to 15, it says, all who sin apart from the law, in other words, they don't have the law, they don't know God's Ten Commandments, they don't have the Bible, will also perish apart from the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles, that's nothing almost, I don't know if there's any Jewish people in the church, so we're all Gentiles then, When Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and at other times even defending them. Okay, big whole lot of theology, but basically what does it mean? It means even people who've never heard about the God of the Bible, never read the Bible, never heard of the Ten Commandments, they still know what's right or wrong. They'll still sin, even though they haven't read Thou Shalt Not Murder. If they murdered someone, they would know in their heart it's wrong. Because it speaks here about your conscience that God gives inside of you. Your thoughts, sometimes defending you, sometimes accusing you because of your conscience. What that means is even for those lost tribes in the middle of the Amazon who've never heard of Jesus, God can still judge them as sinners because they know when they have transgressed, when they've sinned against their conscience. So Adam and Eve had a clear command from God, do this, don't, that was sin. For all of those who've never even heard the Bible, they can also be judged as sin because your conscience is the line. But what then about the Israelites? Well, Moses came, and remember, God gave Moses the law, the Ten Commandments, All of those who are apart from the law will perish apart from the law. All who sin under the law will be judged by the law. So if you were Jewish, then you would know exactly what is right and wrong. Down to the finest little detail, they knew clean, unclean, sin, not sin. It was very clearly defined. So we had Adam and Eve. We had from Adam all the way to Moses. We had from Moses all the way, if you're Jewish. But now what about us? For you and I as followers of Jesus, what exactly is the line of sin in our lives? And that's what I want to look at this morning. You see, in Galatians 6 verse 2, Paul, he said this, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Did you know that Christ had a law? Because we're not talking about the law, Moses and the Ten Commandments. What Paul was saying is no, no, in this way we fulfill the law of Christ. So in other words, as Jesus follows, there is a Jesus law that we need to know about 
Because what we'll discover, it's that Jesus' law for you and I as followers of Christ that define sin or not sin. So we better know it. In 1 Corinthians 9, verses 21, it says, To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law. So this is Paul. Remember, he was Jewish. He knew about the Ten Commandments. And he said, whoa, whoa, no, 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 no. Those Ten Commandments, Jesus fulfilled that. But that doesn't mean to say I'm free from law. I'm under Christ's law. So Paul knew something. He had this clear understanding. There's a new law that governs my life in terms of right, wrong, sin, and not sin. So what is the law of Christ? Well, in John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus said this to his disciples, a new command I give you. Remember that verse? Remember that? It's coming like, okay, now it's making sense. Jesus wasn't giving the 11th command. Jesus was giving his new command. This was to people who understood the commands. They understood the law. Now to them, he says, I'm giving you a new command. Not all, because there's like 661 laws or something in the Old Testament. It's not 662. No, no. This is the new command. This is the law of Christ, which governs all of those laws. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. In James chapter 2 and verse 8, it says, If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture. I like that, the royal law. Because there was the priestly law, the prophet. Remember, to the prophet was given the law, Moses. And the priests administered the law. But now, the royal law, this is the law of the king. The royal law of the king, of King Jesus himself. The royal law, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. He has an extra verse, it's not on the screen, but Romans 13, verses 9 and 10. It says, the commands, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And whatever other commands there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Here's the big idea I want us to catch today. As followers of Jesus... We've got to make a transition in our thinking. Now, we are programmed default sin nature. Our natural thinking will be, is it right or is it wrong? Is it right or is it wrong? And, and you'll try and live your life focusing on where's the line. If I do this, it's not sin. If I do this, it is sin. Where's the line? But now as followers of Jesus, Jesus wants us to cross to a different kind of thinking where we're no longer thinking right or wrong. We're thinking loving or not loving. That's the big jump. That's the law of Christ right there. And if we can make this transition and learn in every situation we face, not, no, but actually, you know what, I can justify myself because I didn't, no, no. Was it loving or was it not loving? You see, loving or not loving, I mean, right or wrong can look at behavior. Loving or not loving looks at your heart. And what we're going to see in the new covenant is because Jesus has given us his Holy Spirit. Now he's got access to our heart. The old covenant governed the flesh, the body, but the Holy Spirit wants to govern our hearts. That's why the law of Christ is not a law of behavior as much as it's a law of heart. Because if your heart changes, your behavior will naturally change as well. Does that make sense? So stop thinking right and wrong and learn to think what is loving. First thing you notice about this law of Christ 
is it's way higher than the law of Moses. Now, law of Moses, do not murder. Do not commit adultery. And remember, when Jesus began his Sermon on the Mount, that's exactly what he spoke about. You've heard that it's said. He's speaking to Jewish people. You've heard the law. But I tell you, he has an example. Matthew 5, 27, 28. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Thank you, Lord. I can tick that box. Righteous. But I tell you, says Jesus, that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in her, with her in his heart. Okay, let's take away that tick. <laughs> okay? Be- because Jesus said, no, 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 no. Maybe outwardly you can justify yourself. You haven't done the act. But Jesus says, now I know your heart. The Holy Spirit's living inside of you. You can see Christ's law is way higher than Moses' law. This law can only be done by the power of the Holy Spirit. My friends, it's impossible to be a Christian without Christ. You you can go to church without having a relationship with Jesus, but you'll never live like Christ without the power of the Holy Spirit at work inside of you. A Christian simply means a Christ in. That's what a Christian is. When you invite Christ into your heart, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside of you. He has to give you a new heart, not an upgraded heart, new one. You're born again, a new heart, new set of desires, because you can't live the Jesus law with your flesh. You can only live the Jesus law by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why I love, this is also not up on the screen, but Romans 5 verse 5 says, Hope does not put us to shame because Christ's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's given to us. In other words, how are we ever going to live? It's not about right or wrong, but is it loving or not loving? The only way you can do that is when you've received His love, received His love, received His love. When you're so full of His love that now you can begin to live this life of love towards others. So does that make sense? Basically, that's the end of the sermon right there. The big idea I want you to catch is to make the transition, not about right and wrong. It's about is this loving or is this unloving? Because now I want to give you a couple of examples. Example number one is some things are biblically clear. I'll call the first example biblically clear. You might think to yourself, it would be loving to the whole world if I murdered this guy. (laughs) No, no, it's still not. It's still not. Murdering people, committing adultery, lying, it is still sin because it's just not loving. So those are the easy ones. And, and some things the Bible is very clear about and justified as you want. God, these are moral issues. God's morals have not changed. The only difference is now by the Holy Spirit, God wants obedience from the heart and not just from our actions. So the first example is the easy one, stuff that is biblically clear. But let me take a little bit more time and talk about some things are biblically blurry. I don't think that's a theological term, but you know exactly what I mean. In other words, what exactly does the Bible say? I mean, now the world has changed. We've got internet, we've got fancy stuff, and how do old Jewish writings actually help us with these real world problems? Some things are biblically blurry. I'm going to take one that's not controversial in any way. Can I drink alcohol? I mean, it's Christians. This is like a, oh, yeah. So let's face it head on. Is it okay to drink? You see, the Bible says, I can quote scripture, stop drinking only water. 
and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illness. So there it is. It's clear in the Bible. Drink wine. Ephesians 5.18 says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with a spirit. Now, many times you'll find the Bible says this and it says this. So like, what am I supposed to do? That's why I chose this as an example, because sometimes it is contentious. I'm going to take you through five questions. You don't have to learn these questions because the Holy Spirit will naturally produce these questions inside of you. And let's have a look at this exact question. Is it okay to drink alcohol? Question number one, and this is the question. All the other questions are sub-questions to this. But the big question is, is it loving? What do you mean, is it loving? No, no. Your drinking alcohol or not can be answered by this question. Because what you'll discover in some situations, for some people, it could be loving. Now, I'll tell you some of my story. I'm, I'm not much of an alcohol drinker. But you know what? In Spain, I drank wine. In fact, the kids drank wine. I stayed with the pastor and his family. And they say, oh, no, Brent, in Spain, you drink wine. You have half of this and you fill it up with water. That's what we have with our meal. Okay. It would have been unloving in that situation not to drink. It's just that's what they did. I remember when uh, about 17 years ago, Kate and I were invited by Dudley Daniel. He leads the New Covenant Ministries apostolic team. We're part of that team, and as a church, we partner together with that team. And so we came onto this team, and, and it was a time when doors in the nations were beginning to open. Now, by God's grace, we're working into so many nations around the world. But these were early days still. We were pining. Doors were opening, and in particular into the Middle East, into some of the Muslim countries, doors were opened for this international team to begin to minister. Now, in Muslim nations, they're very, very sensitive about alcohol. It's just a big no-no. It's just you, you don't drink in those nations. And so here the doors of opportunity opened for an international team. And Dudley said to us, he said, team, you know that in Christ you are free. You are free to drink alcohol. You are free to not drink alcohol. I'm asking you to use your freedom and not. So he asked us, not a law, but based on getting the gospel into these nations, no problem. If, if that's what it would mean, if they wouldn't want a team that has a reputation for drinking old, they wouldn't invite that team into their nation, I can happily then say no for the sake of that gospel. Does that apply to everyone? Does it apply for all situations? No, but it was an opportunity to be loving towards those nations so that we could go into them. Does that make sense? So this is not, this is a line in the ground. No, no. Question is, is this loving? Question number two. Do you have peace about it? You know, peace is a beautiful thing. In the world, peace means an absence of conflict on the outside. But biblically, peace is a person, and his name is Jesus. And he says, my peace I give to you. I'm not giving the world, I'm giving you my peace, which means in the midst of conflict, you can still have peace because peace is the rulership of Jesus in our hearts. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. It's a rulership issue. Now, the Holy Spirit is given to each of us as a gift, and it said, Jesus said it like this in John 16, verse 8. When he, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world. This word convict here means prod. He's going to prod the world of its sin and of God's righteousness 
and of the coming judgment. In other words, the Holy Spirit as a gift. Remember, you can't be a Christian without Christ. Holy Spirit living inside of us. He'll prod you away from sin. Now, you might be trying to justify, but actually it's not, but you'll know, uh, uh, no peace. The Bible says there's no peace for the wicked. And so if you've sinned, you can be justifying in your mind till the cows come home, but the reality is there's no peace. Because the Holy Spirit prods you away from sin, He prods you towards righteousness, and He prods you, there's a reminder that there's a judgment coming. If you haven't got peace about something, then it's, it's pretty much chances are it's a sin for you. Now this is interesting because the same Holy Spirit can be prodding different people in different ways. Let me give you an example. By God's grace, I've never been drunk in my whole life. I'm not, I'm not, I'm tempted in other areas, but temptation to get drunk is not one of them. So for me, I could go and do like a bottle store ministry. I'd hate to, but I could, you know. And let's do evangelism in the bottle store while the people stand in the queue. I could do that because nothing inside of me is actually tempted to ever get drunk. So for me, I could do that with peace in my heart. Some of you couldn't. Same situation, but for you, because of the past that you come from, because of the doors the enemy has had into your life, the Holy Spirit would give me peace, but he would give you no peace. That's what you, you're realizing now. You, people are looking for a line in the sand. There is no line in the sand. There's a Holy Spirit in your heart. And the Holy Spirit will use his peace to help you discern what is right and what is wrong. I, was a, I got saved when I was 17 years old. And by God's grace, he'd kept his hand on me. I hadn't dived into any moral kind of huge disasters or whatever. But that was kind of the age when, you know, trying to be cool, starting to go to parties, learning to like drink a little secretly on the side. And then I gave my life to Jesus. And a year later, I was a youth leader. And now as a youth leader, surrounded by teenagers who I knew were going to do exactly the things that I had, I just, I didn't have peace about drinking. Because now I'm the youth leader and all the youth are looking at me I thought, well, it probably would be better if I just don't drink because then they don't like, oh, if he can drink, we can drink. Does that make sense? So once again, for me, in that stage of my life, I didn't have peace about drinking, and so I didn't. You realizing? Not about right or wrong. It's about is this loving or not loving. Question number three. Do I have faith for it? In Romans 14, verses 23, it says, but whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat. Because their eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is? Yikes. Everything that does not come from faith. Now remember, faith comes from hearing, hearing from the Word of God. In other words, if you're not doing it because I believe this is God's will for my life, Bible says that's sin. Sure. Now, there's two kinds. There's the sin of commission and the sin of omission. What does that mean? A sin of commission is mean you're committing something. You do something which you know is wrong. Omission means you're not doing something which you know that you should do. Let me give you an example. In, uh, let's say you're, for you, you, you alcohol's never been an issue. You love Jesus, freedom, and you're happy to have a glass of wine. But then you get married to someone who struggled with alcohol. What do you do now? See, it's the same you. It's the same, but now there's someone new in your life. 
You see, see now, the son of commission, if, if, you, if you do drink now, now you're realizing you're putting that person that you love into a place of temptation. Or you could simply not just not drink, but you could just leave the alcohol lying around in the cupboard. Maybe we'll use it one day. No, 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 no. Now that's omitting to do something which you should do. Actually, it acts as an act of love now. Rather clear out the house completely. Does this make sense? You understand now why the law of sin is a little bit more complicated. It's not complicated if we're sensitive to the Holy Spirit. It's complicated because in our minds, we always want to try and justify something instead of just surrendering to the Holy Spirit. Oh, quickly, let me finish off quickly. Question number four, is this becoming an addiction? In 1 Corinthians 6 verse 12, it says, I have the right to do everything. This is what the church was arguing to Paul. We're free. Jesus has set us free from the law. We have the right to do anything and everything. But not everything is beneficial, says Paul. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. An addiction is simply when you've become a slave to something. You can lie to yourself and say, oh, I could stop any time. Well, then stop. Because if you can't stop, you're just lying to yourself. To be mastered by something means now an addiction has got a hold of you. Now, why is this such a big deal to Jesus? Because Jesus paid the ultimate price for you to be free from slavery in your life so that you can be free to obey God, which is freedom. And in any addiction is going to keep you from being free to obey Jesus because you're being drawn after this addiction. That's how passionate Jesus is about being free of addictions. He paid with his blood upon the cross. Having a glass of wine might be fun, but to not be able to not have a glass of wine, that's a problem. Does that make sense? To not be able to only have one glass of wine is a problem. Once again, the Holy Spirit will put his finger upon our hearts. And then question number five, is this helpful? The same argument in 1 Corinthians 10 this time, 23. I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Now, once again, this is the issue. If you're fighting for your rights and what you can do and your freedom, you've completely missed the boat. So now, you and your wifey have a glass of wine in the evening. You're not addicted to wine. You enjoy each other's company. You're free in Christ, and you have your glass of wine, and it's beautiful. But should you take your bottle to Connect Group? I mean, there's no church policy here. We don't have policies because that's coming back to lines. But now the Holy Spirit nudges you. I'm a bit worried about Bob in our Connect Group because Bob's a new Christian, and I think Bob has had a problem with alcohol in the past. So we come as mature Christians, free in Christ, who love our glass of wine in the evening. But if we take that bottle, I'm concerned about Bob. I think it's going to send a message to Bob that actually, and it could trip him up, it could become a stumbling block. So let's, out of love for Bob, just drink Oros. <laughs> or water, it's even better for you. Do you hear once again what I'm saying? That's why we have to, as we mature in Christ, stop thinking right and wrong, and learn to think, is this loving or is this not loving? If you're thinking right and wrong, you're thinking about yourself. When you're thinking about is it loving or not loving, 
you're thinking about the people around you. So we looked at publicly clear, we looked at publicly blurry. Sometimes, and I'll end with this one, sometimes there's situational blurriness as well. Now, situational blurriness, let me just give you an example. Paul, I mean, has this revelation of Jesus, has realized, Jesus, you have made things clean for us. In Christ, we can eat anything because, Jesus, you've set us free. But he goes into the one city, and in this particular city, they've got this big temple, and the meat would be sacrificed normally at the temple and blessed at the temple, and then the people can buy their meat. And so many of the Christians, they new Christians, they're thinking, well, cook, what do we do now? We can't eat this meat because this meat has been dedicated to this idol. Now, Paul, coming into the city, he looks at the situation and he thinks, okay, what is the most loving thing that I could do? These people with a passion for Jesus are saying, no chance. I love Jesus so much, I refuse to eat that meat if it's been sacrificed to an idol. So if Paul steps into the situation, no chanons braai. He realized, completely unhelpful, because they knew Christians, they're passionate Christians, and they see this guy flirting his freedom, and now they would be eating the meat because Paul says we can meet it, but their hearts are like, yikes, this has been dedicated to an idol. I'm like, yeah. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8, 9 to 13, be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what's sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. Does that make sense? This is not about right or wrong. Is this loving or is this not loving? I'll read another scripture, Romans 14, 14 and 15. I'm convinced, Paul was convinced. He had faith, he had freedom, he had a peace in his heart. I'm convinced, being fully persuaded that in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. For if, but if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it's unclean. Does that make sense? If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. See, it's quite an interesting question, isn't it? Is it sin? Is it not sin? A sign of immaturity is, is when we're trying to look for lion in the ground because we want to justify ourselves. That's immature thinking. Christ has set us free from being self-focused. Now, as part of a community, as a body, loving Jesus, we've got to grow up and step into the law of Christ. Not right or wrong. Is this loving or is this not loving? And you'll find these questions, you don't have to remember them. The Holy Spirit will remind you of these questions. And as we learn to walk in them, we'll discover his freedom more and more. Followers of Jesus Christ's law are not under the law. Christ's law is higher. It requires the Holy Spirit and is based on a single heart issue. Stop thinking right and wrong and learn to think what is loving. Does that make sense? Now I'm going to pray for us because there might be some things in our lives right now which we've justified to ourselves. There's nothing in the Bible says that I can't. 
granted. But that doesn't mean to say it's not a sin. The Holy Spirit is going to be asking you this question. In everything we do in our lives, is this loving to God, loving to others, loving to myself? In Jesus' name. Amen? Why don't you stand with me, please? Let's close our eyes for a moment. Father, we thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. We never got to part two about why God hates sin, but he hates it because it separates us from his love, from his love, from his power, from him having access to our lives. Father, I pray for the, the convicting work of the Holy Spirit right now. I pray against condemnation. The Bible says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And in no way, I hope you don't feel in any way condemned. But rather, Holy Spirit, will you come and convict? Holy Spirit, areas where it's blurry, will you bring clarity? Holy Spirit, will you, reveal, will you give us wisdom in areas of our lives where maybe we've been justifying, where maybe we've fallen for the lie of the enemy, where maybe we've built up a kind of thinking and argument. Holy Spirit, we want to surrender to you. Come, Holy Spirit. We want to be free of the poison of sin. We want to enjoy the righteousness of Christ, the life-giving, life-imparting righteousness of Christ. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Just with our eyes closed for a moment. Maybe you're visiting here, and, and I've been talking about sin, and, uh, and maybe you like your cook. Remember this. The blood of Jesus washes in and cleanses us from all sin. When? When we confess our sin. And maybe you've never come to Christ before. Maybe you go to church. Maybe you're like, yeah, Jesus, I'll follow you. But if you're honest, you've never come to Christ with the confession, owning your sin, saying, Jesus, I have sinned. I need your forgiveness. The Bible says all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved, will be saved. Jesus doesn't squirm at your sin. He already knows you've done it. So just confess it, release it to him, and let the blood of Jesus cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Maybe you've never opened your heart to Christ. Today is the day of salvation. So friends, if you need prayer, if you're struggling, wrestling, got questions, we'd love to pray with you. Our team will be praying for those who may be making a decision for Christ. Maybe some of you who got sickness in your body, let's trust the Lord this morning as the team prays. We want to see breakthrough and healing. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for your amazing grace and your amazing goodness. Father, thank you that as we go, we go knowing your gracious hand is upon us. We've got a team heading down to Mantlazini to go and uh, preach now. Connor and the team. Father, we pray for them as a team. Anoint Connor as he preaches your word this morning to the young people in Mantlazini, the team that goes with. Anoint them with power and authority. Father, we give you all the glory and honor and praise in Jesus' name. And God's people say, amen.